What's going on? It is Adam. Welcome back to Bringing It Backwards, a podcast where both legendary and rising artists tell their own personal stories of how they achieve stardom. On this episode, we had a chance to hang out with Brett Kissel over Zoom video. This is actually the second time Brett has been on the podcast. The first time my brother-in-law, Sean Olbs of the Eiffels, had a chance to chat with Brett. So it was awesome being able to kind of catch up with Brett. I had never met him before. So knowing a little bit about his story, we got to dig in pretty deep. He told us some stories he's never told before, which is really kind of cool. We hear about him writing a letter to Johnny Cash and getting a reply. How his musical journey started at six years old some major successes through his career, and all about the most recent song he put out with 98 Degrees. It's called Ain't the Same. You can watch our very in-depth interview with Brett Kissel on our Facebook page and YouTube channel at Bringing It Backwards. It would be so awesome if you subscribe to our channel, like us on Facebook, and follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at Bringing Back Pod. And if you're listening to this on Spotify or Apple Music, Google Podcasts, It would be absolutely incredible if you follow us there as well and hook us up with a five-star review. We'd appreciate your support if you follow and subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. We're bringing it backwards with Brett Kissel. I appreciate you being here. Um, Actually, my brother-in-law interviewed you before for this podcast. Yeah, and uh, yeah, bringing it backwards. Like, yeah, I I do. uh, I I remember the conversation when my record came out. Um, It was a really special one-on-one talking about you know obviously all these songs but i think that it was supposed to be scheduled for like 20 minutes and he and i just kept talking it was such a great visit it was it was it was a good one so i'm just grateful that we get to pick up where he left off i guess yeah yeah i mean and i would love to hear a little bit about your story just because i didn't i didn't hear it the first time i mean i watched the interview but i I would love to kind of elaborate a little bit um on that if that's cool well absolutely i mean where what do you want to know because it's uh I could kind of give you the Reader's Digest, Quick Coles Notes version of it, or I could really, you know, take you on a on a pretty cool journey about how this all started for me. Because lo- I'm, I'd love to jump I'm on grateful, the journey if you yeah. have time. Absolutely. I mean, I, I related a lot to sports, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Where, you know, there's a kid, you know, you put a hockey stick in a kid's hand, and and you know, he just keeps playing, playing, and before you know it, he goes from novice to to Adam, and then to Pee Wee, and then before you know it, he's playing junior and then he gets drafted to the NHL. And before you know it, he's playing on a, on a major league team and, and wins the Stanley cup. And, and you ask that kid, how did, how did this all get started? I'm like, well, I don't really know. This is just all I've ever done. And for me, I got a guitar when I was six from my Nima and she got it from the Sears catalog. And she just said, she saw music in me and all I ever wanted to do was just sing. So now I have an instrument that I can accompany myself with. And I never took a formal lesson. I just would sit on the island or the counter right by, by the radio. And I would, I had three minutes to learn a song because, oh, wow. you know, sold at the Gurney County auction was going to be done, you know, and I better learn that guitar chords and figure out, Oh, he's playing in the key of playing the key of a. So that's just an open a note. So I'm just trying to learn that. And then you learn more songs and you realize that, it's kind of a formula. If you learn an A chord and a D chord and an E chord, you can play every song. And then if you mute your, <laughs> if you mute your palm, you know, you can play Johnny Cash music, like, you know, kind of thing. This is out of tune, but so, okay. Oh That's my God. Cool now guitar, I can play, by the way. <laughs> oh, yeah. Thank you. It's uh, we were giving it away um, to all the liquor stores that ordered uh, our company Deuce Vodka. Oh yeah. So, um, 
yeah, my, uh, my, yeah, my, my vodka company's doing really well and really proud so of cool, it. So, man. and then, then you start playing shows and you play, I don't know, Bob's Ford dealers, you know, hamburger customer appreciation. I play a half hour set. Sure. And the G the GM dealers there. He said, "Well, why don't you come play my Christmas party?" And then this guy who was there he says, "Hey, I'm the entertainment booker for the local rodeo. Why don't you why don't you play a set?" And before you know it, I'm 12 years old. I'm getting paid five hundred dollars or a thousand dollars, and and I'm hiring band members. And now I'm 16 years old, and now I'm getting paid five thousand dollars, and I get to travel to Vancouver or Calgary or or Toronto. And before you know it, I'm 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 20 years old and there's, you know, a, a record label, you know, kind of saying that you're, you're doing some pretty cool things. We should, you know, do some work together. And, you know, you start traveling to Nashville, you learn the art of writing songs. And I, I this is all I've ever done. I mean, I, I don't know if I'm good at anything else in the world other than playing shows. And mm-hmm. so I'm really grateful that now I'm 31 years old and I don't know, probably played maybe 2000 shows, maybe more. And, yeah. and I just love my life. And accomplished so much in the in the in the music industry as well with all the awards and, and accolades that you've gotten. Like it's so cool to to like read about your story and like now hear it from you. Um, I'm curious. I mean, you grew up on what a cattle ranch, right? Is that what I saw? I did, yeah. And it's still in our family. My wife and I, a couple of years ago, we actually bought the ranch from my grandparents. Oh, you did, and um, that's, we did so it, that's it so can awesome. last another generation. So. We bought some land with my aunt and my uncle, my auntie and my uncle. And um, it's awesome because it's such a beautiful property, a legacy property, been in our family for 112 years this summer. So, um, so, we, so someone had to buy it. Someone has to keep it going. And, and I want to be that guy. And you guys are what hurting? Are you, you do like Angus and uh, just see something else like a couple of different types of beef out of there. Is that what it is? Yeah. Yeah. For years, we, I mean, back in the seventies and eighties, before I was a kid, we did Simmental cattle, which were a very popular breed and a beautiful breed of cattle. But as my dad started to take over the ranch, he was doing Angus. Um, but now what we do is we have the land, um, but we just really rent, rent out all of our land to other, other ranchers, um, that happened to be our family too. So uh-huh. I still own cattle with one of my cousins and we bring them and we pasture them on our land. But with me being a country singer and also being a busy dad with four kids yeah, and my wife yeah. and I are chasing after our kids and my grandparents are aging. Um, you know, we decided that it's probably not best for my grandpa at 83 years old who needs, who needs a hip replacement to be pulling calves and calving out, <laughs> sure. calving out three, 300 calves like it's 1965. So, my, uh, so we've slowed down in that regard, but still very, very busy and still a great life. That's so cool. Are you still, uh, did I read that you're in Nashville? Are you in Nashville now or no? Physically right now, no. I, I am up in Alberta right now. Oh, we have cool. A, we, we have a house. Uh, yeah, just just a little ways off the farm. Um, but we split our time between Nashville. But of course, you know, with COVID, we we didn't go back to, to America for, for two years. So we hunkered down up here to be closer to friends and family. But now we're really reintegrating into Nashville, um, you know, this year and into 23 and, and are probably going to relocate and move our move our family back down again. Okay. I was wondering about that. Yeah. Cause the COVID restrictions were really kind of weird with, I mean, I, you're jumping across countries, right? I mean, it's with Canada and everything else. I know early on, it was like you had a quarantine in like a hotel or something for like weeks on end, if you wanted to come over here and back. Yeah, it's, it, it was, it was pretty wild. And I mean, it's, 
I, I, I own a vodka company and there's still not enough, not enough for you and me to drink to solve the problems that, <laughs> that, that COVID caused and the, the, the real road bumps, you know, speed bumps that, that it put in, you know, the, the way of the music industry. And, and yeah, the, those COVID hotels were just such, such, a, such a wild thing. It's going to be very interesting for, for you and I as, as young men, you know, to, to talk about this in a decade or talk about this right. you know, in three, four decades. Because, you know, you and I are, you know, we might be on a golf course with a cigar hanging out of our mouths, you know, when we're in our 70s. And we're going to be like, do you remember that time in, in the 20s? Remember 2020, all that shit we went through. Oh yeah. Can you believe it? You know, it's, uh, it's, it's going to be one of those things the same way that I remember my grandpa talked about, uh, you know, and my great grandfather who I did know talked about the dirty thirties. Now I remember oh, sure. him talking about the dirty thirties. 30, 1930s. <laughs> exactly. And now yeah. we're going to be talking about the, the wild 2020s. That's so wild. It's crazy to think. And like, I have young kids too, or one, one six-year-old and the other just turned 14. And it's thinking like they had to go through school, like in the beginning of school with this whole like virtual learning. And like, I mean, it's, it's wild to think like what their heads are going to be wrapped around when like, oh my gosh, remember when I had to like stay inside for three months? I mean, two years or yeah. whatever it was and wear a mask and all this other stuff. It couldn't see my friends, like just thinking about being that age, like it's nuts. Yeah, it certainly is. And, and I know that, that it has already, you know, affected the, you know, the, the, the mental health of, of our entire society in a bunch oh, of different yeah. ways. But I think it's important for you and I as parents to do our very best to coach the kids, help them understand that a lot of this was out of our, out of our control. And mm-hmm. you know what? And now we have to make up for lost time. You remember all those times where we couldn't do all the things that we wanted to do. Well, now it's important to get back out there and join those sports teams and really cherish oh, our yeah. friendships sure. you know, and cherish the time with cousins and family and grandparents and, and everybody that we have in our circle. So I, I think there's a, an even heavier responsibility on you and I as dads too, to support our significant others and support our, our peer groups. And of course our kids. Right. I love that. No, you're totally right on. Exactly. I mean, my son had his like fourth birthday and my other one has 12th birthday, like literally in our house between the, t- my family. Like it was just yeah. like the four of us. I'm like, this is so not a way to spend your birthday, well, <laughs> especially when in, you're young. <laughs> exactly. And my, my daughter's third birthday, May, May of 2020. So when she turned three, she now just turned five. Oh. But I remember we had the parade birthdays were all the thing oh, yeah. where all of our friends and family drove in their cars into our cul-de-sac before we moved out to the farm, drove in the cul-de-sac and we set up, you know, lawn chairs on the driveway. And my wife is so beautiful with such an, an incredible heart that she set it up with flamingos and palm trees cool. and plants that we bought from you know, from the store, you know, fake plants. So we decorated our driveway to be this circus inspired, beach inspired extravaganza. I and love as, that. You know, grandparents and friends and family drove by. And um, yeah, and I gave everybody a care package, which probably was illegal at the time, but I gave everybody a care package <laughs> illegal. With, with, with a Mickey with 375 milliliters of my newest flavor of vodka. And I realized as I'm handing it to them through their, through their, you know, they rolled down their window Window. and I'm handing, I'm like, are you allowed to have liquor? 
in a vehicle while you're driving away from a kid's birthday party? Probably not, but I guess it I depends on where you were. <laughs> yeah. And actually in the state of Tennessee, I think you can have, you can have uh, open alcohol as long as, as long as you're not the one drinking it. I think in the state of Mississippi too. Yeah. As long as you're not drinking, which is wild. Cause actually I just moved to Nashville. That's why I was curious if you lived yeah. here still. So we moved from San Diego, California, Southern California to here. And that was one thing somebody told me like, you're literally the person next to you can have like an open container in the car as long as the driver obviously isn't drinking it. But it's like yeah. that just blew my mind. You're in California. That thing has to be in the trunk, like shut, even, you know, definitely closed. Everything yeah. has to be far away. <laughs> probably locked it in the safe. Yeah, California is so beautiful, but it is such a, a, a wild place in terms of, you know, a lot of my friends that, you know, that are in the music industry have moved out of California uh, you know, especially Los Angeles area, a bunch of buddies from San Diego either moved to Nashville or they moved to Austin, Texas. Yep. And it's crazy because there's great culture in Nashville and there's a great vibe. And there's a lot of people who are very forward thinking in Nashville and Austin, yet you're still in a state that is deep rooted in tradition and deep rooted mm -hmm. in the entrepreneurial spirit and a bit of a, more of a capitalist uh, mentality, which as an Albertan, you know, a guy who grew up with oil and cattle, you know, we're, 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 we're capitalists. Oh you know, yeah. Through for and sure. through. So <laughs> I, uh, I do, I do love living in Tennessee where I can have all these wonderful, great, you know, forward thinking opportunities and, and yeah, just great culture while still knowing that deep down inside, there's a lot of people that still control uh, the state of Tennessee and the beautiful city of Nashville. And, uh, you know, I, I think I'm pretty aligned with, with some of those folks too. Oh yeah, I completely agree with you. And it, I didn't realize that people were moving out in herds here. And in like, herds, people would. I'd run into the. I'd go into the Kroger or whatever. Like, oh, where'd you, where'd you move from? Oh, let me guess, California. I'm like, like, how do you know this? They're like, you, you're like one of the thousandth person that I've talked to. And this is like, you know, over a year ago. And now I'm seeing even more and more and more people. Like, it's just, it's so wild. Like my whole neighborhood, like half of the people that live here are from California. <laughs> Well, and, and good for you to come, come a year, you know, a year ago or, or more. And I'm sure based on California prices to Tennessee prices, it wasn't that big a deal in terms of real estate. Although things in Tennessee are going up like oh, that. We got but lucky. You, we got in right under the, the, the radar which is thing amazing, there. Amazing. Cause you, you probably still, still have made it over the last year, regardless where you live and regardless the size of your house, you probably are sitting on quarter million dollars of additional equity today right now which isn't that wild what a, what a, what a great move like, <laughs> right what a, what a wild world we live in it's so bizarre but yeah dude um well i want to get back to your music so i'm so interested so at six years old your grandma gets you this guitar out of a sears catalog you said you didn't take lessons it was basically you were just learning by ear off of the radio yeah that, that was exactly it and uh my parents used reverse psychology on me because i did take lessons for two or three weeks in a row. Uh -huh. And I didn't like them because, you know, I was learning theory and I was learning scales you know, and all that fun scales stuff. and all that shit. I, I wanted to play Johnny Cash music. Right. Like Johnny Cash doesn't know theory. He knows three chords and the truth. You know, I was, exactly. I was six years old and I knew this. And, um, and so he, or my, my dad and, and my mom, they said, look, if you quit lessons, will he still play guitar? Because we'll let you quit lessons, but you have to keep playing. And I'm like, absolutely. I promise you I will play every day. And they're like, good. As long as you're learning songs 
And so my dad would give me songs to learn. And, you know, now I'm seven, eight, nine. My dad would say, hey, you know what? I know you, how much you love country music, son, but, you know, there's a whole other world out there. So he took me downstairs to his record collection and we were listening to Eagles and CCR, Bad Moon Rising and the Doobie Brothers and a bunch of great Canadian bands like April Wine and Backman Turner Overdrive and the Guess Who and in a decor, American woman. Yeah. <laughs> and like, you know, and, and I, I love that. And I love to impress my, uh, you know, and, and please my parents. And I wanted to please my grandparents. So that was my gift to them. And my grandpa would be like, hey, can you learn the song Bye Bye Love by the Everly Brothers? And they play it on a record. And I'd be like, yeah, I can do that. And I'd sit with it for an afternoon and I'd learn it and I'd present it to my grandpa. So that's how I became kind of a bit of an encyclopedia of all of these amazing cover songs. And if you and I were having a drink together and we're in, you know, in, in, in your home or we're sitting on the front porch and all your California neighbors are together and someone's like, hey, can you play a song by John Mayer? Or, hey, can you play this song you know, by Guns N' Roses or this one by Dwight Yoakam? I, I, I probably can. You know, I probably heard it because mm -hmm. I was always playing for my family. That's so cool. So you learned a lot by ear. It sounds like you can hear something and then figure yeah. it out, which a lot of people can't do that. I mean, but then a lot of people have to like look up the tablature or whatever it is, learn the notes. Yeah. I mean, to have that skill, that's so impressive. That must be so much more helpful. Did you ever learn to read music or were you like, I don't need to because I can just hear it? No, I, I, I felt that, that learning to read music would have taken me on a, on a different path, an mm -hmm. extraordinary path. Don't get me wrong, because if you can read music and you can tell your brain can tell your fingers what to do based on what you read, that is an extraordinary skill set. Oh, sure. And those who play classical music or play in symphonies and orchestras are elite musicians, far greater than what I will ever be in terms of music. But the, the reality is that once you know that you're somewhat, you're really confined to what's on the page. And mm -hmm. I'm on a more creative path. Sure. The creative path allows me to hear with my ear and determine whether or not I'm actually going to play what the guitar is actually playing, mm -hmm. or maybe just take a bit more of an approach with what the bass guitar is playing, laying down the foundation of the song. Or I'll take an opportunity to say, okay, the fiddle is doing this really interesting thing in the background. And if I just play a little bit higher up on the strings, I can mimic that. So I can make my sound a little bit more full if I'm just accompanying myself. Whereas mm -hmm. if I just got the sheet music for George Strait's Amarillo by Morning, I'd have to play just what the acoustic is, and I wouldn't be able to deviate from that plan. And mm -hmm. I'm definitely a guy who does not want to be in a box or be confined <laughs> to a box. I want to destroy the damn thing. I love that. <clears throat> yeah, that, well, that's... You're right. I mean, creatively, if you're looking at a, a sheet of paper, you're almost learning, okay, if I see this, I'm going to play this. And you might even get, put yourself in a box even more when you're looking at it because it almost becomes more like a mathematical thing, right? I mean, these things exactly. go together and then this goes together like this. And then if you're only thinking that way, you won't try to experiment otherwise when it comes to theory and, and what notes should go with what. And I feel like there's, a, I mean, here in Nashville, a million great players that could, you could go and be like, I need a bass player. And this, and you're like, here's how the song goes. And then they could just, they know all the theory, then all the things that can make it sound however you want it. Like, you know, in a second, but not your brain is working a totally different muscle than that. Yeah. And, and Nashville is an extraordinary hybrid of, of both cultures and music and both um, both paths, as, as I was mm -hmm. describing, and exactly as you're describing, because you have 
these great bass players and these great drummers and guitar players and fiddle players that are the best on planet earth in, in, in the category of country music and the best of what they do. So in Nashville years ago, there was a number system that was developed that is called the Nashville number system where it's based on instincts, but it's based on, <clears throat> on theory, but it's not really notes. It's just your chord and it allows you to interpret, but you know where the song is going to go. So to explain it properly is in theory, if I'm playing in the key of a, mm -hmm. a is my one. So if the, if the key is a, we're going to say this is Brett Kissel's new song and it's in a, so you have anytime you play the note a or the chord a, that's a one, mm -hmm. then B would be two. C would be three and D would be four. And you know, in theory, it's A, D, and E, one, four, and five. So you play the intro is one, one, one. So one, 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 four, 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 five, 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 one. And so you write that down on the chart and your drummer, your fiddle player, your steel guitar player, your guitar player, they know it. So they know. All right, here's the intro. It's going to be 1145, which means one bar of one, one bar of one, one bar of four, one bar of five, bringing it back to one. That's the intro. So I can holler that out on Broadway today at Tootsie's. All right, boys, we're going to do Working on My Next Broken Heart by, um, by Brooks and Dunn, key of G. Um, we're going to go to the five for the intro for two bars. One, a two, a one, back to the five chord, which is D, back to the one, which is G. And that's how you play it. So oh it's my theory, gosh. and it's only in Nashville called the Nashville Number System. That is so incredible. I've talked to so many people and so many musicians and a lot of them that have been here or lived here, and no one's ever told that story. That is so incredible. I always can feel, yeah. I was wondering like that and like jazz where it's like, how do these people just know what everyone else is doing and where they're going? And it doesn't sound like a total disaster. <laughs> so I'll tell you a funny story about jazz and everybody listening and watching is, is going to be so angry with me about what I'm about to say, but it's from my kids. And, um, and so I was playing them some, some jazz, some, some really improvised jazz and of course, they understand the structure of country music. You have an intro, a verse, a chorus, a solo, a verse, a chorus, and then you're done. Mm -hmm. And my son, Leo, I'm playing him some improvised jazz just to see what he's thinking. He says, Dad, why are, why are they playing so, so many notes? They're playing all the wrong notes. And I'm like, son, that's jazz. Oh, I don't like jazz, he says. <laughs> <laughs> but it's so true. It's like, I don't even know how to follow along with these. It's just, it's a totally different world for me. I love listening yeah. to it. But like, if I just, it just blows my mind. So I'm like, how do these people just know and feel and feed off what everyone else is doing and make it sound good? And even with that, with going into, you're playing with new, probably new band members I mean, especially early on, maybe, I mean, you probably have a solid group of people now, but in the beginning, you're like, okay, this is kind of how my song goes. And then they have to know it like instantly. Well, and they do know it instantly based on the instincts that, that we all develop over time. And so mm -hmm. from the time I was six, but really, really getting into guitar, you know, nine or 10 um, to where, where I'm at right now, the instincts that I've developed and, and that a guy like Brent Mason is one of, one of the best guitar players ever. Um, or you look at Keith Urban or Brad Paisley, mm -hmm. 
their instincts. They just automatically know instinctually that that song is going to elevate in the chorus. So if you're playing in the key of G, you know, it's probably going to go to the key of It's going to go to C, C yeah. for the chorus. And you know, that it's going to wrap up around. And once you hear it, once you get it. And now as those guys are great, um, you know, uh, guitar virtuosos who can solo, they can solo over that because they know the progression. They know what's coming up. So they know their scales and they just instinctually know it's almost a situation where you're a goalie in hockey and you're seeing a play form and you know, mm -hmm. there's a two on one and you know, there's a very, very good chance that because this guy's got the puck, he's a shooter. He will not pass. So I just know instinctually what he's going to do or where the puck's going to be. You know, the great wide receivers in the NFL and Tom Brady, such a great quarterback. He just knows he's going to throw to this area and the wide receiver knows to a degree based on the plays that they run and the instincts that they have that if I run this route and I go post and I'm just going to go to the back corner of the end zone, a very good chance I'm going to look up and that football is going to hit me right in the numbers. Mm -hmm. And you just know that. So when Brad Paisley is playing a song that he's never heard of mine and he calls me up on stage like he did in this random city in, in Indiana that I opened for him, he brought me up on stage and he's like, play one of your songs. And I know for a fact he's probably never heard it, but I do the intro and he's just playing a little bit quieter. Then I look at him for a solo and he nails the most extravagant guitar solo because he just instinctually knows where the song is going to go. And that is true raw talent. And again, you'll only really find that in Nashville, in my opinion. Wow. That's cr oh, so what you, you, you're on tour with him and you just, I want to hear this yeah. story because that's so amazing. So you're probably playing a massive what <laughs> stadium. And then he goes, Hey, Brett, come up on stage. With yeah. Me. Or like, okay, tell me the story. I don't want to. Well, just... My, my show had gotten rained out as an opener. So I, I missed my set. It was me, then Chris Young, then Brad Paisley in Indianapolis. Mm -hmm. And um, Brad is, is just one of the nicest guys. And we formed a really strong friendship over the years. And Brad, he, um, you know, he, he came to my dressing room and said, Hey, look, you know, I know you got rained out, but uh, I'll bring you up when I go to the B stage, you know, that little stage behind front of house that's closer to the back of the arena. Mm -hmm. He says, when I go and I play there, I'll call you up and uh, let's play a couple songs together. So I'm like, absolutely. What do you want to play? And he says, whatever you want. So I played one of my own, which is what he asked. And then I said, Brad, I know how much you love classic country music. I said, do you want to do a Merle Haggard song or a Buck Owens song? He says, and we let the crowd decide. We did a Merle Haggard song called Oki from Muskogee. And we played that song and the crowd just loved it. And then Brad's like, do you want to play one of mine? And I'm like, absolutely. So I, I, I grabbed a D chord and I went, I got some big news. The bank finally came through. And I sang mud on the tires with him. And then the band kicked in and it was just... I get off the stage and my wife is looking at me. She's like, can you believe that just happened? And I'm like, no, I should have soaked it in more, you know? And that was, that was in 2015 or something like that. It's six, seven years ago. Like That's... man, time flies. Wow. Wow. So you were playing what outside and then it was raining. So he was yeah. like on a, the big stage or, or a different, obviously. Yeah, stage. it was, and... it was, it was like the, the amphitheater. So, oh, um, sure, sure. Okay. Kind of thing. So I, I, I did get rained out because they weren't going to let with lightning morning, they weren't going to let the crowd in. So uh -huh. basically if I'm playing from seven to seven 30, but the rain is coming down, they're not really going to open up the amphitheater until seven 30. So my show's already done, but what a class act and Brad Paisley to understand that I'm just a kid you know, trying to make it in the business. And he's like, 
instead of you playing to what would have been 10,000 of the 40,000 people at 7.30 anyway, why don't you come up and do three songs with me to the full 40,000? Like, you right. can't. I, I would have so chosen cool. that. Anyway, you know? right? <laughs> anyway, so that's the universe looking out, looking out for me, I, I think, in, in, in that regard. That is so amazing. That is so amazing. Um, I'm curious to know, like, when did you start writing your own songs? So obviously you're picking up the guitar, learning off the radio or whatever have you, or your, you know, grandpa, dad, can you learn this song? Can you play this song? When do you decide, like, I should write my own song? Well, you know, I was kind of told to because I didn't really want to write songs. Um, I'm, I'm very different. I think most of the artists that you'll speak to, they love being in the studio and they love writing. Mm-hmm. Me, I really don't like the studio and I kind of really don't like writing songs, to be honest. <laughs> I'm just, all I want to do is play. All I want to do is, is, is play shows. Um, and, and I want to play cover songs. Like, I, I, I really do. But when I was in my, in my late teens, I realized quickly that I can't just be the cover song guy. You know, I'm 17 years old and I was, I was making good money playing a lot of rodeo dances and corporate events and stuff like that. But if I ever, all, was sorry, ever gonna, all covers, all covers at that point. Yeah. For, for the most part, I had, a, okay. I had a couple like original songs, not that I'd written, but buddies had written for me that I'd recorded. Okay. Um, but original material was what was going to get me a record deal. Original material was what I needed, you know, to get a, a, a big name manager. So I started to write songs because I was just told to by so many other artists that I would be opening for in my late teens that said, man, you know what, what you're doing is great but you need to write your own songs. You need to figure out what you want to say and what you want to be known for. Um, so I, I really had some great mentors in Nashville um, in the early days, two guys you, you may or may not have heard of, but Tim Taylor and Steve Fox are two guys that I wrote a lot of songs with. And I think they were so patient with me because if you write songs from the time you're 12 to 17, you've got five years to get rid of bad ideas. I'm 17 and 18 and I'm full of bad ideas. So I had to get rid of all them. And these guys just sat with me and I wrote a hundred songs and 99 of them were terrible, but one of them was pretty good. And then, you know, the next year you write more and, and you start to develop more quality instead of quantity. Um, and then I ended up developing, you know, a liking for it, but it's still a means to an end today. But you were going down to Nashville prior to writing. Or is that um, when you started to, correct. to really write? Yeah. Okay. Just just to soak in Music City. And, and I would go to the Country Music Hall of Fame every single day. If I was there for seven days, seven straight days, I'd go there for at least an hour. Um, wow. Just so that I could read more stuff. And I could mm-hmm. learn about what Ernest Tubb did. And I could read about what Willie Nelson did and Dolly Parton did. And, and I, I just, I loved traditional country music so much. I really did. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've, I've never been there. I mean, like I said, we lived here for a year. We haven't really got out and done a whole lot yet just because we, you know, new area well, trying to establish house, blah, blah, blah. But we recently went to the Johnny Cash Museum, which was so cool. It, I and loved that it. Is, it's a small museum, but it's probably one of the best museums I've ever been to in my life because it had all the right things in it. And it is so interactive in the footage and the feeling. And every time I go to the Johnny Cash Museum too, like I, I wind up dropping two hundred dollars because there's another cool T-shirt or a cookbook or yeah, there's or, I don't know or merch <laughs> something else. My wife is like, "Do you need more Johnny Cash stuff?" And I look at her. I'm like, uh, "Yeah, 
Of course I do. Like, <laughs> of course I do. Like, well, what kind of question is that? Yeah. You know? Like, of course. It reminded me of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Have you been there in Cleveland? No, I haven't been yet. It's very. It's, it's a massive version of that. Like, I mean, multiple floors, but like similar cool stuff that you'll find that you're like, whoa, this is you know, uh, Jim Morrison's fourth grade, uh, you know, uh, grade card or whatever it is. It like just random cool stuff like that. I feel like there's a lot of that at the Johnny Cash Museum as well. Well, what what you'll love about the Country Music Hall of Fame. Um, and, and I suggest go on like a random Tuesday, not, not a okay. weekend. If, if you can, that way it's not too busy, but it's, um, it's a sacred place. And mm-hmm. you're seeing, there's two amazing spots there that I love. And one of them is this beautiful rotunda where you have all the brass or the bronze um, face statues. Of oh, sure. Everybody who is in the hall of fame mm-hmm. from George Strait to Johnny Cash, to Eddie Arnold, to, you know, Roy Acuff to Minnie Pearl and Dolly Parton and the list goes on and you're just looking and it has a short bio on them and you're thinking, all right, most of these people have passed away, but I'm standing truly in the presence that has been cemented forever. Their legacies are some of the greatest artists of all time. And of course, in our genre, so that I love. And then there's four stories in, in the stairwell. Once you exit the museum, four stories high of wall to wall with no space in between um, gold and platinum records that record labels and, and artists had donated, Mm -hmm. especially those like, you know, a Buck Owens or, or a Kenny Rogers, you know, who has 71 gold records, probably (laughs) like they need to go in the hall of fame because Kenny Rogers, you know, was a multimillionaire. He didn't even have enough space for 71 gold freaking records. So he just made them all to the hall. And so, Seeing four stories of gold and platinum records is an amazing thing to see. Mm-hmm. And the history and the culture of, of country music, you, you can't beat it. And you have a handful of them as well. So maybe, you know, you'll have your face yeah. in there one day in a well, plaque. Pretty, pretty lucky. <laughs> maybe in the Canadian Country Music Hall of Fame. But <laughs> I, I got I to sell a few more records and uh, have a few more hits stateside. And I think maybe that's where you come in. That's, that's why I love these conversations with platforms such as yours, you know, with, with such a great reach, you know, around the world, but especially in the States, you know, to be able to tell my story and, and stuff. I'm, I'm very grateful for that. And you play a really big part in it. So um, I appreciate that more than, you know, like, thank you. So, and I, I love the fact that you're here and I love the fact that you're back on here. And that means so much that you, you wanted to come back and do this again. Um, we haven't talked much about your music though. I I keep going these, in these, in these dangers because I love what Uh, you're saying and these things, but do we even have to, because I I get it, you know? Uh, no, 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 (laughs) we could go back. Well, actually on the Johnny cash thing, you got a letter from him, didn't you? Like a headshot. Yeah, I did. Cause this, this is being filmed, correct? Yeah. Like, uh, well, I'll show you real quick. So this is, this is the photo right here. Um, well with the glare, let's take it off the wall here. Oh, wow. So when I was a kid, um, June Carter passed away in May of 2003. Mm-hmm. So I'm 12 years old and I wrote Johnny Cash a letter of my condolences, just saying, you know, I'm so sorry for your loss. I'm your biggest fan up here oh in Alberta, God. Canada. And um, I can't imagine what you're going through, but, you know, I'm so sorry for your loss. And I just, I, my grandparents, as I told you, had an extensive record collection. So I just went Johnny Cash fan club, Andersonville, Tennessee, and I wrote it on yellow lined paper and I put it in an envelope and sent it from Canada to Tennessee and 
forgot about it. Uh-huh. In the meantime, I made my very first recording, and it's called Keeping It Country. So I was 12 years old. You can, I love you that. can kind of see with the glare. Yeah. So Keeping It Country, it was on CD. It was on cassette first, but then this CD. <clears throat> and so I recorded a bunch of Johnny Cash songs. And it's Friday, September the 12th, 2003. My mom woke me up in the morning and she says, I've got some really great news, but also some sad news. So what's the great news? She said, your concert, your CD release, album release, party concert has sold out. And which is great. It was in this little village where I grew up called Glendon, Alberta, which is a village of 250 people. And we sold almost 600 tickets. For, 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 <laughs> wow. For at a 12, like, at you're 12 as well? Yeah. And we, and we, we sold tickets for $15, um, $15. And it was $5 went to uh, pay for the pierogies. Uh, Cause we had pierogies and, and oh, sauce as, Ukra- as a Ukrainian family. So we uh. had a dinner after the show. So the $5 paid for the pierogies and the kubasa and the $10 I got to keep. So 10 times 600 is $6,000 for a 12 year old. Like I couldn't, <laughs> yeah. like, well, what do I do? You know? And so I, um, I, uh, my mom said, but the sad news is that Johnny Cash passed away this morning. And uh, I remember crying and I, I, you know, my hero, you know, it's, it's yeah. a super, super sad day. And um, I dressed all in black and was rehearsing for this concert with this little band that I had hired to, to back me up. And um, my dad came home, he's a school teacher, came home from work and he had a big yellow envelope with shaky handwriting addressed to me, box 903, St. Paul, Alberta, Canada, T0A3A0. And I opened it up. And it was a letter from Johnny Cash on the day that he died. And the letter and, and, and the eight by 10 said to Brett, Jesus first, Johnny Cash. And so to receive that on Friday, September the 12th, I don't know if he signed that five days ago. I don't know if he signed it three months ago when he got the letter and it just, you know, took a while to get, but to receive it on Friday, September 12th is unbelievable. That is that. Oh my gosh. That is so unbelievable. And the fact that he hand wrote it back to you and it wasn't just like some, you know, response via like his management company that just prints something off and then hand you like, send you some glossy sign like a long time ago. And they just kind of package it in there and send it over. Like he literally like read your note, wrote you back and like, that's so amazing. His, his, his fingerprints. I mean, it's behind, it's a very expensive frame. I went to a frame shop and I'm oh, basically I asked thing- for, for, for bulletproof glass. <laughs> that's you what know, I like, would have done. <laughs> this means more to me than the, the damn Mona Lisa. Like really. Right. Like, you no, could be I, like, I have a couple so items I, in my house that way as well. Or it's like, so I don't know if this, I told my wife, I'm like, if this place goes up, the kids, you, and then the, the there's like three items that will go before anything I, else in this house. Can I ask what those items are? Or One of them is a it, sign. No, I can give you the two I can think of. Off, or there's three. I have a gold record from this band called The Struts because yeah. I used to do radio for 17 years before starting this podcast. And I had the opportunity to be the first guy to play the record. And then it sold, you know, 500,000 copies. So I got a, a gold album with my name on it from, from Interscope from them, which was like blew my mind. Like the fact that no to kidding. watch this band, like do what they did. And then 
I mean, the songs in the new Sing movie, like Halsey sings it. Like it just to see what it's done is just so crazy to me. Yeah. So that was one. The CD, the 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 set list from their very first show ever that it says like thanks for the first play. And that they're all they all signed it. And then I have a signed a thing from Taylor Swift that says to Adam love Taylor Swift. And I'm like, okay, those three things are going out of the house with me. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Like, Sweetheart, you got the kids? Okay, good. I'm gonna go get the memorabilia. <laughs> Just let me grab these three things. So those yeah. are like my the three things that I'm like. I can't, I, if they're in bulletproof glass essentially as well. So <laughs> well, I think it's important to, to keep those things. Cause those memories, it's not material things. These are extraordinary memories in our, our life is a true timeline. Yeah. And you can look back to that time, pre podcast, your time at radio, working with the struts and, and knowing that you were a real big part of that launch and that's mm-hmm. one of those blips on the timeline, almost like a heart graph. You know what I mean? Sure. That's kind of how I describe my, my life in terms of the timeline. Mm-hmm. And I just love when you have these blips, like the Brad Paisley story or the Johnny Cash story, or you, your time, your encounter with Taylor Swift, who's, you know, one of the biggest artists, you know, in, in the history of, of music, um, not just the last 20 years, but I, I believe she'll be in probably the top 20, 25 artists of, of all time. All time in terms yeah. of I agree how, with how you. she's affected musical culture. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just some of those moments you like, the, like what you're saying, you got off the stage with Brad Paisley and you're like, I didn't even have time to like understand what just happened. Like it was like one of those yeah. things where I got like I played the record and I, that happened so many times where I'd play a band on the on the air for the first time. Like, oh, you know, here's this. And then it doesn't do <clears throat> it's never done, you know, anything. And then you'll get yeah. these moments of like, whoa, this one band like really did it. Like, I mean, it was cool to be a part of it. And really push them and help them. And, but to see, like, there's so many other chances that other, you know, that never just didn't happen, but you know, and that's, that's the real crazy thing. And the wild thing about the music business is that you can go up and down Broadway today. You in the radio business heard so many great tracks Mm -hmm. and where are these bands today? You know, what, what are they doing now? Everyone had an opportunity so I, I, I had a chance to, <clears throat> I had a chance to, you know, spend a little bit of time briefly with, with Steven Tyler at a fundraiser up in Calgary. Oh, wow. Alberta. And I'm talking a brief moment in time, but what he told me, you know, when we kind of got into a bit of a conversation where I was really asking for advice, but I didn't want to be like, give me some advice. But <laughs> what he ended up alluding to is that anyone has just as good a chance of being a superstar as, as anybody else. And everybody comes from somewhere. Wayne Gretzky, small town, Brampton, Ontario. Yeah. And greatest, became the greatest, greatest hockey in, player ever. <laughs> greatest hockey player ever. Yeah. You know, everybody to a degree has humble beginnings. LeBron James, Michael Jordan. You look at Dolly Parton is from, you know, the, the hills of Tennessee. And who would have mm-hmm. ever thought that she'd be this icon? So Steven mm-hmm. Tyler, you know, from, you know, I know he's from, from Boston and in the Boston area. And so you think about that, it's like everybody is from somewhere and everybody has an opportunity to be successful. So that really kind of gave me a a kick in the ass and lit the fire under me too, to understand that just because I'm from a farm in Flat Lake, Alberta in the middle of nowhere, doesn't mean I can't make something of myself. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't have to be from New York or I don't have to have a rich parent. You know, I can, I can, I can do this. Mm -hmm. 
So what would you say, like speaking to that, like what was there a moment that kind of landed that way for you that you were able to capitalize on and didn't really even realize what had happened until maybe it started to really work out for you? Or, Well, if, if I think about, you know, all of the songs, you know, to go back to what you were saying about radio mm-hmm. and you're playing these songs and some of them just don't get traction. I remember the first time on the national scale when my first single was played and how it immediately got traction. And to a degree, I don't know why it did because there's so many other great songs out there. Why, why not them and why me or why me and not them? Mm-hmm. I mean, I felt that we had all the recipe for success in terms of a, of, of a great song. But when there's a million great songs, why does mine rise to the top? I still don't know. But because it got so much traction, that was a moment where I'm now traveling across Canada or I'm in a shopping mall or I'm in um, an airport. People are starting to recognize me or I'm hearing this song just on a Spotify playlist that just happens to be the Calgary airport playlist. And my song is on there. And with my wife or I'm with my buddies, I'm on my way to a bachelor party or I'm on my way with my band to a gig. And there it is. That's my song. And that was a really crazy moment to think like, I, I'm everywhere right now. Mm -hmm. And it was a very, very surreal experience to think that, wow, this, this actually might, might get some momentum and and, and keep going. Yeah. Was that hard to kind of, uh, you know, initially like understand what was, and I guess understand, I don't know the word to that it would describe it. But like when people are now coming up to you and being like, Oh, Hey Brad, like, I love your song. Can I get a picture with you? Or can I like, like kind of that happening? Was that hard to like digest? Was it weird? It was the only weird thing about it or not strange, um, not weird, not strange, but the only interesting thing about it was that it was, it started to happen a lot more often because of Mm -hmm. course, as, as a kid who was playing locally and I played so many shows, everyone in my hometown knew what what i did right then when you graduate everyone in my home city of edmonton alberta kind of knew who i was and 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 what i did not in a conceited way but i played so many events that someone would wind up seeing me the next monday i'd be at a hockey game be like hey i saw you at that fundraiser you know for kids with cancer you know on the weekend you did a great job so that was always happening in my teens Mm -hmm. but it was the most unique when I'd be in downtown Toronto at the Eaton Center, which is the big mall in downtown, uh-huh. or I'd be at a Blue Jays game in Toronto, or I was in Vegas. And granted, these were Canadians, but I was on a bachelor party with the boys in Vegas and we're coming out of an Aerosmith concert. And there was this pod of about a dozen people, mm-hmm. um, you know, six couples. And they were like waiting for me and my guys all to come out because they had, they had seen us kind of on this VIP area, this side of the stage. They're like, we recognized you. We're, we're, we're from Halifax, Nova Scotia, or we're from Newfoundland or whatever. Like we mm-hmm. saw it was you. Can we get a picture? And I'm like, that's wild to me. Las Vegas, Nevada. <laughs> yeah, like, I feel very much like I'm still a farm kid. You know, I know just like after, after this podcast, I'm going to go and help my dad and our handyman, Mike, go fix our barn, you know, like, it, it is so cool, still a little bit surreal. I love that. Um, speaking to you saying earlier mm-hmm. that like playing live is your thing, right? You love playing live. You love it more yeah. than being in the studio, more than writing. 
like how crushing was it that you couldn't play for like and how did you like fill that hole with COVID happening and then the world shutting down for nearly what two over two years now? Well, it was it was devastating, especially for for us here in Canada. Who, mm-hmm. you know what? And it's it's again, it's such a such a polarizing topic. But for me, on a personal standpoint, it was very difficult for me to figure out what my true value was and to the world. Because if you take a stage out from under my cowboy boots and you take um, a microphone out of my hands and a guitar from off of my shoulders. What good am I really? You know, I was really good at music, but but I don't have any other skills. I have nothing else to fall back on. This is my bread and butter. This is my life. Mm-hmm. And now it's gone. And I didn't know how long it was going to be gone for. You know, and, and now, so, but then you realize that likes on Instagram just don't matter. And, and maybe streams on Spotify don't matter as much as, as, as they used to because, there's something really big going on in the world right. right now. So I had to truly restructure my entire mindset. And I think that to a degree, I'm just kind of getting out of that fog and out of that funk right now. I've tried to remain mm-hmm. positive. I love my family. I've got an extraordinary wife and I love my life and my ecosystem here. But you know what? It was just such a, a strange out of body, out of this world experience to be shut down and cooped up, you know, go from Mm -hmm. 300 days gone every year, no matter what, to 365 days straight at home. Mm -hmm. Very, very interesting. Were you writing quite a bit that way? Or was it just like, like at what point do you come stir crazy and you're like, okay, I should write. Or was it pretty quickly on that you're writing songs uh, or, you know, my, my managers told me you've been given a gift start writing songs. And I didn't <laughs> want to write at all. I just, I procrastinated. And I was like that old bull in the field that you need to bring home from pasture. And he's like, screw this. I'm living out here. I'm retired. I'm done. I literally felt that way. I, I had nothing to write about because everything was about the live show. I would write towards the live show. Even if it was a ballad, I wanted to pull on the heartstrings of my crowd. Mm-hmm. And if it was a live up tempo, get your drinks up and let's party our faces off kind of song. I got no shows to play. So why do I want to write songs? Like I looking back now, like I a hundred percent, I was depressed and I've never used that word. Um, and I don't use it lightly, but you know, like it was a real dark cloud over me. And so I didn't want to write um, mm-hmm. until I wrote one song with Eric Pasley and Eric Pasley, a great, great artist in Nashville. um, I don't know how I got hooked up to write on zoom, but we we wrote a song called down to earth. And um, those lyrics really spoke to me and we didn't talk about the pandemic, but we talked big time about um, how this life that he and I are living, you know, we both retreated to our farms Mm -hmm. and maybe that's what life's all about. We're just going to get right back down to earth, way out where the good things grow, because there ain't no roots in that downtown rodeo. Sometimes you got to put in the work, tip it on back and get right back down to earth. And then his back half of the course was soak up that full moon high and find yourself lost in a never ending sky full of stars, feet in the dirt, skiddy on up, and get right back down to earth. 
And that's exactly what we did. And that was a pivotal moment that a year into the pandemic that made me say, okay, maybe I can write songs like this because at least that's good for my heart. Mm -hmm. Wow. And then did you, uh, well, I want to talk to you about the 98 degree song. So how does this thing come together? Was it similar? Like I've seen videos of you guys talking over Zoom. Was that how it was done? This song came together in a unique way because I wrote it with Karen Kozowski and Tim Nichols pre-pandemic. Oh, but wow. Okay. I always loved the song, but didn't know what to do with it. Mm-hmm. My manager, Jim Cressman and Jeff Timmons of 90 Degrees are good friends. Jeff reveals in a conversation, maybe while they're working out, I don't know. <laughs> we were thinking we might do a country record one of these days. And Jim says, well, if you're going to do a country record, you should hear the song that my client, Brett Kissel wrote. And Jeff's like, absolutely, man, send it to me. So Jim sends it to Jeff. Jeff and his wife hear it and love it, circulate it with the rest of the boys, Justin and Drew and Nick. Nick and his wife love it. They say, we're going to get into the studio. Let's record this. But then their plans fell through to do their own country record. So Jeff reaches out to Jim and says, we still love the song. Do you think Brett would want to do it with us? I'm like, what? <laughs> It's the craziest question I've ever heard in my life. Of course, I'll, I want to do it with you guys. It would be amazing. Like, hey, we're, we're going to go in the studio. We're all together in Vegas. And, um, you know, we've got this great, uh, we've got this great uh, studio here. So uh, we'll cut it and we'll send it back to you. They send it back in like a half an hour. Like, these guys are one-take wonders. The song oh, that you hear it right God. now, I swear, took them a half an hour. <laughs> and, then, <laughs> wow. and then they sent it back to me. And we're like, this is a monster song. This is unbelievable. You guys took this to a whole new heights. Then we organized the process as to when we're going to release it. And that took a bit of a year to navigate if live shows are going to come back and, uh-huh. and what we can really do. So we've been sitting on this for about nine months, but I love the song. and I'm so grateful that the four of them bought into this song as if they wrote it themselves. So uh-huh. I'm so grateful for their, you know, their talent and their professionalism and their kindness. That's so awesome. That's so, I mean, they've all obviously done such big things. I remember, I can still vividly remember seeing their videos like on TRL when I was a kid, like, you know, in my high school years, like, Oh my God. Absolutely. Like, and then the, then to have them on your record, which is a country record that you would never assume they're like in that whole R and B lane and it works. And it's, it's such a cool song. And I love on your Instagram, you say like future member of 98 degrees. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, all, all, all the big boy bands have five members, right? So, what, so yeah, what happened? <laughs> well, I'm hoping that that the boys will, um, even if even if it's just for a day, if those guys can go, um, you know, to Staples and get one of those certificates and write in a sharpie, Brad Kessel, honorary member of 98 Degrees. Uh, that, that, that's all I need, and I put that to be a little tongue in cheek, just to see if the guys will notice. That I'm uh, I'm trolling them a little bit to, for for that invitation. Yes, yeah, and then <laughs> if you get that, you need to put it in bulletproof frame next to your Johnny Cash picture. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, I love that. Have you had a chance to? I mean, speaking to live shows, like, is that something you have plans to do soon? Or yeah, we've got some really really great shows on the books. Um, for this year and some exciting stuff for 2023 that's coming down the pipe. But um, I, I am doing a, a very, very specific 
tour this year called It's Showtime. And so I've selected about seven or eight venues in Canada that I love or I haven't been able to play for years or I've never played before. <clears throat> and we're just going to play these shows plus our festival dates. So we've got some great, great venues lined up and we're selling a lot of tickets, which is really nice. The people are ready to get back in the saddle. And I've said it many times, but I think we're all going to make up for lost times. Yes. I love it. Have you, how did you play the show yet? Or is this going to be your first one? <clears throat> my, my first one of the year. And I've only done one uh, other than uh, like some corporate stuff here and there um, or some fundraising stuff. I did, uh, I did one in Calgary and it was like a get back on the saddle concert basically. That's and so we bad. sold about 4,000 tickets and my friend, Jess Moskaluk opened for me. And um, I made a new friend in Tyler, Joel Miller, who's a great up and coming artist who was the opener for Jess and everybody just partied like people, people drank and made up for lost time over the last two years. And they sang along and I was supposed to play for 90 minutes. I think I played for two and a half hours just because <laughs> I could, I asked, Why not? I, literally, I asked the venue in the city of Calgary because they have a, a noise bylaw curfew. Mm, if you go sure. past 1130, and I said, what's the fine? And they said $1,500 for every half hour. And I said, oh, shit, easy. I'll pay that $1,500. I'm singing till midnight. So I did. <laughs> I love that. I, well, it's funny that you brought that up because when Paul McCartney played at Coachella, they have a noise restriction. I think it's $1,000 a minute that you go over. Oh, my God. And he, yeah. went over, he went over by 90 minutes. So he paid like 90 grand just in fines because he wanted to keep playing. <laughs> well, <laughs> so, and I love that because that's, that's a flex, you know, when you're, but I mean, when you're still for you to pay 1500 bucks <clears throat> to just keep playing, like that's, that's a flex too. I mean, you're talking about the biggest well, artist ever on the planet, but yeah. I'll tell you a funny flex that I, that I saw live in Toronto. Um, the, the Rolling Stones were playing um, their tour and it happened to be my birthday. And one of my really good friends, um, Steve Cody took me to the concert. Mm -hmm. and um keith richards um you know mick jagger's the the best front man of all time and, and sure. keith richards though he took the mic for one and he grabs his cigarettes that were rolled up in his sleeve here like it's mm -hmm. 1950s and he, grabs <laughs> yeah, like this. and he grabs grabs one and he says <clears throat> they say it's a fifteen thousand dollar fine if i light this up and the crowd's buzzing and it goes like this <laughs> And he lights it up. He takes a drag and he puts it in the headstock of his Telecaster. And then he starts playing the next song. Oh, and I that's swear, awesome. like, I'm, 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 I'm in the suite, but I'm, I'm way at the opposite end, right in front of the stage, but in the furthest end. I swear I could smell that cigarette. I swear. <laughs> and maybe it's my mind playing tricks on me because I wanted to smell that Marlboro Red so bad. Yeah. But the I fifteen thousand dollar Marlboro. <laughs> yeah, we smell that cigarette. And we're like, this guy is cooler than we will ever be. You know, that's so awesome. <clears throat> that is that's a great story. <laughs> oh man, well, Brett, dude, thank you so so much for doing this. This has been so much fun. I am so happy that I was able to chat with you today. Uh, I, I I loved it. Thank you. It just yeah. it was a great conversation, and uh, I know my publicist is going to say. You should have talked more about new music, but we we were too we were too busy having a great conversation about life and 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 parenting and music and and I, I really enjoyed it. I, I haven't had one this this special or this in depth um, in years. Maybe since the last time I was on the Bring It Back. <laughs> but, 
podcast. I, I love it. I lo- well, real quick, now speaking to that, I want to know, yeah, to your uh, new music. You have obviously the 98 degree song. Do you have a record in the works? I, yeah, I, I am working on a, a new project that will hopefully be out kind of early November or late okay. October. And it'll be, I, I posted one little thing about it a couple of weeks ago where I said, I'm in the studio working on the most extraordinary and extravagant record of mm-hmm. my life. And it'll be unlike anything I've ever done. Um, <clears throat> it's very difficult to describe. So I think you and I need an hour just to dive into kind of the headspace that I was in to make, to make this record. I've never been more excited because I'm not oh, a studio okay. guy, but I've never been more excited about this. It'll, um, it's going to talk really about all the different sides of me as a human being and as an artist. So now that after COVID, I realized there's no rules anymore. So let's just make this extraordinary record that really hits all the different sides of me as a, as a person that I'm really proud of. And I want to, you know, double down these efforts on all these different sides of me um, and have the courage to, to do that and not just be confined to the box that I've been confined to over the last few years. So the record's coming out. You said, well, now I want to hear the whole story. So I'm going to have to set up another interview with you. You have to come back again. I, I think you will, because there, there are a lot of great stories and great, um, you know, universe moments that have happened with this, with the making of this record. Um, and with the direction that I'm, that I'm choosing to, to go down, I'll tell you my working title right now. It's called the compass project. And so it's, it's about my internal compass. <clears throat> Excuse me. It's about my internal compass. Yeah. Okay. Well, I would love to have you back to, to dive really deep into that <laughs> because that, now I'm just so fast. I'm so excited to hear about it. So, so yeah. before November, you're, you're coming back on. Yeah, I promise we'll, you I will. We'll dive deep into the record because, yeah, I knew that the 98 Degrees song was out. I figured you had probably a project coming, but now I feel bad that we didn't dive deep into that. Uh, no, it's, it's not a problem because it's, <laughs> it's still so much in the works. But you know what we should do is um, closer to release. You know, I, I, I've got a home in Nashville. Obviously, you're, you're in Nashville. Let's, uh, let's get together, whether it's your place or my place. We pick a really unique venue. Maybe, maybe we can rent a room at the Country Music Hall of Fame and we can be in that rotunda and let's, let's, let's talk there. And oh, let's, uh, let's, let's do an episode there. Oh, man. I'm, yeah, I love that. I love that idea. I was going to actually... Dude, great. Okay. We'll talk about it in just this... Yeah, we'll talk about it. Um, real quick. One, one more yes, quick sir. question for you. I want to know if you have any advice for aspiring artists. And, I would, and I'm so taking you up on this in-person <laughs> thing. Okay, for sure. Give me a second because I got a bit of a frog in my throat. Five no, seconds. No, go here. for it. I know I've had you talking for over an hour. I'm sorry. <laughs> please, please don't apologize. Um, hard work pays off. It's as simple as that. Because in this business, if you use me as an example, and a very low level example, I know that I'm not the best singer. Shay Mooney is the best singer. Carrie Underwood, the, they're the best singers. I know I'm not the best guitar player. That's Keith Urban and Brad Paisley. I know I'm not the best entertainer. I love to entertain, but I know I'm not the best. It's Garth Brooks. You know, it's, it's that level. But I, and I know I'm not the best songwriter. That's Alan Jackson. That's uh, Hardy. That's Morgan Wallen. But what I do believe I'm really good at is connecting and working hard. Mm. 
And if I can work hard at all my different craft, you know, areas of my craft, I believe that there's a reasonable chance that I can be successful. And so if you were driven by those statistics for success, and success is different to everybody else. My version of success is different than yours, different than the next artist. But if you can work hard, that's where you're going to get those opportunities. So continue to work hard. That's, that's the only thing I really know. And I can really speak to truly. And it goes for not just aspiring artists, but any business, oil, cattle. If you're a teacher, if you're a nurse, if you're, if you're in entertainment, if you're in arts, if you're, it doesn't matter what you are. If you work hard, you will be successful. So it's just hard work.